Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I have never forgotten you, Rebecca De Mornay. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss The Hand That Rocks The Cradle, which released in 1992. Written by Amanda Silver and directed by Curtis Hansen. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Claire Bartell and her family. She's just about to give birth and decides that she needs to get a new nanny to help her with the new baby. But the new nanny has a bit of a past and there's going to be conflict among the family. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. So, like I said, this is from director um, Curtis Hansen, mm. who from here would go on to make uh, or direct The River Wild in 1994, yeah. L.A. Confidential in 1997, and 8 Mile in 2002. Nice. And the writer here as well has gone on to do some pretty big projects, including The Rise of the Planet of the Apes, also doing The Relic back in 1997. And she's listed as being the writer for Avatar 3, which is due to come out Whoa. in 2024. So I'm just like, between this director and writer, there's yeah. quite a large spread of films that they've been involved in. Uh, but this film, when it came out, I think it came out around the height or around the time of like domestic family violent outbreaks with either it being a cheating spouse yeah. or having somebody in the house that wishes you harm and you don't know about it. Yeah, I like... I. I saw this film when I was very young and you know it always kind of carried like the thought process of like fatal attraction as well you know this person has come into your home that you've trusted and now they're kind of destroying your life you've got like Alicia Silverstone I think and like the babysitter and I think Shannon Tweed had a few other extra programs but with with the hand that rocks the cradle I think it really hit the cinemas big and you know Rebecca De Mornay like that that was a face that you could kind of trust, but when you saw like the trailer for this film, you know, you realized that she was gonna, you know, mess shit up. Starting with Annabella Sciorra um, playing Claire, you know, what an actress. I remembered her from, you know, uh, What Dreams May Come. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so like when we said we were gonna do this review, I was looking forward to going back and seeing this film again. And she plays the, you know, the, the pregnant mum really well at the beginning of the uh, movie. You know, they've got the nice little home. You know, the music even kind of gently brings you in over the credits. Well, there's something I wanna bring up about the music yeah. that's used in the film. And it's also very foreshadowing if you know where it's come from. Okay. There's many references in the film to Arthur Sullivan, quite a lot of them. And Sullivan was a music composer, and you might recognize uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, and Gilbert and Sullivan were operas from over 100 years ago. Okay. And uh, they are echoed in the opening credits of the film. As, and uh, and then later on, as Peyton is humming that same tune oh. when she's strolling in the park, it also plays on the radio at the climax of the movie. Right. Now, some of these Gilbert and Sullivan plays, the ones that they're being referenced here, is, I mean, the so the one that she's humming in the song is called Poor Wandering One. Okay. And it's from the musical The Pirates of Penzance. Ah. Which features a nanny who mistakes two babies. There was also uh, an opera, the HMS Pinafore, which has a nanny which switches two babies at birth. Okay. And both Michael and Emma are singing the HMS Pinafore song when they're in the bathroom at the beginning. Ah. So there's two different plays, two yeah. different pieces of music being used in here about stealing babies, essentially. Damn. Um, like... And so it's kind of foreshadowing what is to come straight yeah, away. Yeah, like I, I didn't really follow those operas before or, or, you know, researched it. But yeah, like... 
you you have this opening with Ernie Hudson turning up. He's he's playing um kind of an autistic man with learning difficulties, but I I remember seeing this after Ghostbusters 2, and then when you find out in Ghostbusters 2 how he didn't really get a lot to work with, it's a real shame because this movie I think just highlights how good he is. Uh taking a character and making this character alive. So Solomon, you know, is come to this home as part of a, a project to help paint, you know, and allow people with disabilities get back into society. And you you have this kind of shocking moment at the beginning with Claire being scared by him because he's tried to knock at the door and then, you know, he scared her at the window. But then when her husband, Michael, played by Matt McCoy, you know, brings him in, you just, I feel safe around him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can tell he has a childlike innocence about him from the get-go. Yeah. Um, and he has a he straight away has a, a um a building relationship with young Emma. Yes. And and it's very cute to watch them their playful nature, and uh, we see as time moves on through the film that uh, they keep finding more and more jobs and more and more reasons to keep him around. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a good handyman and he's good for looking out for a little Emma as well. And as we know, there's another baby on the way. So having uh, having him around, it makes him feel more secure. And he's also yeah. nice and friendly. So. Well, that's it. But he's got his rules. He's not allowed to carry, to touch the baby. You know, he's not allowed to really carry the children and stuff. But, you know, before the baby is born, Claire goes to see her doctor, uh, played by John Delancey. Dr. Mott, and man, I love Q. Yeah. I really do, but this moment, this thing is just awkward. Sleazy, disturbing, horrible, and I'm sure a nightmarish uh, experience for any woman that needs to see a gynecologist and have this happen to them. Yeah. Uh, being sexually molested. Um, when you see a doctor that you should respect and have that happen to you, of course. So we have the breakdown where she's trying to explain this to her husband. She goes through the, you know, I don't want to sue him. I don't want to talk to what the papers. What if I'm wrong, you know? Exactly. And, uh, and, and it all builds very quickly. I mean, the film rushes through some of these events yeah. to get to the main, you know, story where... You know, all of these other women have come forward. Yeah. Um, and we we see him pretty much blow his brains out. It kind of pans away. Yeah. But we do see that he has a wife with the picture on the side. And it's only after he's killed do we actually get introduced to his wife, just a few seconds later. Oh, man. I mean, Rebecca De Mornay? Yes. Like, if you've never seen Risky Business, go see Risky Business. Then come back and watch The Hand of Rocks to Cradle and you'll, you'll see what I mean. But... She, just the look that she can shoot at a lawyer who's explaining to her, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but all your all your money is frozen. Your husband kind of voided the will when he shot himself. Uh, you know, this, this he's, whole... he's being sued by all these other people and companies, yeah. so you're not getting any of it. You're not getting anything. The only thing that you really have is your house, and that's going to be sold probably for a fraction of the price. But she is so upset as well. And she's pregnant, um, but she miscarries at this moment and loses a baby and the film like i was like like you said about the time i was really surprised for an hour and 50 minute movie it just kind of shot all the way through it and going back and looking at this beginning sequence you know editing claire's relationship with her family with miss mott losing hers you really get why she's gonna do this why she's gonna go out and so it jumps six months later baby is born in the house, you know, Solomon is kind of trusted, but not trusted really much like that because he obviously has got to keep his boundaries. 
and Claire is trying to balance everything. You know, they're a happy family. I love Matt McCoy. I didn't really recognise him anything. I mean, we mentioned John Delancey, which everyone recognises as Q. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, this guy was also in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It was in Season 3, Episode 8. I think it was called The Price. Okay. And uh, that was the famous stretching episode. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> I remember him majorly from Police Academy five or five and six. Oh, and it's been so long since I've seen those. That's that's it. I just remember he was kind of like the second hand Mahoney, right? You know, if you can see Steve Goldberg like that. But the family really kind of settles in that they're happy and everything's going well. And so then when you do you do see Peyton Miss Mott step out from that school bus to help Claire. Well, she, yeah, she stops the bus so that she can pass her her jacket. Yeah. Um, and we'd already had conversations with them earlier where she's like, we're too busy, we need a nanny. Yeah. But she's like, no, none of the nannies were any good. And then here comes... <laughs> Mary fucking Poppins. Right. This is why films like this kind of ruined trust, I think, after the 90s. Well, that's right. Now, this whole scene, I was just like, it, I'm sure this would not play out today in the same way. And it is a big... It, I mean, it's not big. It is an issue... That you might have with the premise of the film, yeah, is that she's she's like, oh, you're here for the nanny position. Well, come on in, let's have a chat. Oh, you know what? You're probably the best applicant I've had all day. Yeah. Oh, you're not actually with any of the organisations. No. Nope. Which somehow that doesn't bother me. No. You're, oh. you're hired. Oh, and by the way, we've got a space in the in the basement as well, so we'll just let you live with us too. Yeah, and so like, if you can get past that, then you're gonna enjoy the rest of the film. But if you get to that point, and it might be an insurmountable hurdle for you to enjoy the rest of this thrill ride. See, you didn't really think about it back in '92 or no, like, no up to People were so much more caring. Yeah, you know? front doors were left unlocked. Well, I mean, you know, story-wise, story-wise in movies, you know, Arnie, Bruce Willis, and Stallone were hitting us up with so many cheese fests, having. This, you know, we were just like, yeah, yeah, we can believe it because we saw Terminator too. You know, that's true. Um, but they settle her in and you know, as the audience, that she's evil. You know she wants to destroy this family. And the way that the movie just slowly starts to build up, like I said, with Claire Annabella, like, she, she plays the paranoid person really well against Rebecca de Mornay's Peyton, who is doing the stuff that you can see to screw everything up. Yeah, it, it literally becomes like a psychological warfare where yes. the family aren't aware that it's being inflicted upon them. And uh, and it all starts with, um, with Peyton just snake-like whispering into people's ears, yes. telling them stuff. And the first thing that she doesn't like, I mean, Solomon experiences this firsthand, but he's confused by it when she gives him you know a look that would kill yes you know and it completely shocks him you know it's too much for him but then she goes back to being mary poppins like a second later yeah and you're like it's right there like yeah. it's right there um but then she starts to suggest to claire that uh he's maybe getting a bit too close to their daughter and oh. it's maybe maybe you should look into it and she's the mum's claire's like no no not not solomon no not a chance so day later she's like oh the baby walkie talkies batteries are dead do you think solomon's got any i'll go check yeah starts rummaging through the the the, the tray of tools and finds uh, emma's underwear. underwear yeah man i see this is the, all being built up because 
Peyton as well had been breastfeeding the new baby while the family were asleep. So obviously the baby is now not feeding from Claire, but feeding getting from Peyton. Yeah. yeah. And, and Solomon's seen this. You know, he didn't mean to. He's just doing his job. He's actually trying to stay out of the way. But that confrontation at the shed. Yeah, well, she you know, slaps him. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she just calls him, like, horrible words. Don't fuck with me, retard. He cries. Ernie yes. Hudson, man. Ernie fucking Hudson. So then when you get back to her, to Claire finding the underwear... Like, I find, I, the first time I watched it, I was screaming at the TV. The second time and third time I'm watching it, I, I'm just, I know that it's all going to come back on Peyton, but still to sit there and watch it through. You also have, like, Julianne Moore uh, playing the close friend Marlene. There's this whole kind of back history where Marlene and Michael were, like, lovers back in college, and then he left her and he met up with Claire. And he, he I, like I said, I do love Matt McCoy because he just plays the whole I love Claire throughout this movie really well, especially when he's going up against Peyton, you know. Yeah, he wakes up in the middle of the night, wanders down into the kitchen and Peyton's there just like, is there anything I can get for you? Oh, God, man. Oh, God. Like, anything? Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go back to bed now. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. There's again that sequence later where they're out in the rain and they come back in. Yeah. They're both soaking wet and looking at each other. And he's, but he's like, no, my wife is the only woman for me. That, yeah, and that's that's after she's managed to take out Julianne Moore. Yeah. She, she's. Oh. Well, I mean, there's uh, there's this whole whole build up. I mean, this is building into one of my favorite scenes in the film. Yeah. Where Claire knows that you know Marlene and her husband were a thing, but it's all water under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know she's at home one night. Her husband's not come back. She's trying to find out where he is. He calls up the office. She calls up the office. He's not there. But then we cut to the restaurant, yeah. and the two of them are there smoking cigarettes because he doesn't smoke, but he smokes when he's around his ex girlfriend. But it's because they're planning a surprise party for Claire because yes. Peyton suggested it. Yes, but this obviously when you know when she asks him where he's been and he's like I've been at the office all day yeah I've not been seeing my ex-girlfriend I'm not cheating on you <laughs> um, and Claire takes his jacket to the dry cleaners and of course Peyton has taken Marlene's lighter and yes. put it in his jacket to set him up so that when we get to the party we have Claire making an absolute scene yeah. thinking her husband's cheating on here on her when all of the surprise guests are just around the corner Oh, man. It's brutal. And like I said, and it's just like on top of the breastfeeding, on top of removing Sullivan, on top of questioning the the husband's loyalty. Like, all of the characters are starting to reach breaking point. And even, even Peyton, we get a glimpse into her psyche. We know she's violent and angry and frustrated. And there's a scene where she goes into the into the bathroom. Oh, that's and a, she yeah. literally Nicholas cages it up in there and just just starts wrecking the place. Well, as much as she can. Yeah. But it's also she's she's built that relationship with Emma as well. You know they're they're telling each other secrets and Emma. That's how she found out about Marlene and and Claire's husband. Yeah, and and she also finds out about how the, you know the child is uh, the um, Emma is being bullied at her school. So Peyton just happens to turn up at the school, which. This is why we have gates now, people. This is why we have CCTV camera. Because she literally just walks up to this little kid and pulls his arm. I've got to give credit to this little kid actor. Because she just fully 
dresses him down right there in front of everybody else and threatens to fucking rip his head off and then walks away and just goes, oh, secret club. I'm like, kill this bitch now. <laughs> I got a message for you, Roth. Leave Emma alone. Look okay. at me. If you don't, I'm going to rip your fucking head off. But you're constantly just building up, building up, and she wants... Peyton wants to kill Claire and replace her as the mother to this family, and so she sets up the the greenhouse because it's got lifting up windows to kind of smash as soon as somebody walks in. And it's Marlene, Julianne Moore, who who's not trusted Peyton from the moment she saw her. You know, this attractive woman has come into your home you know, that's that's a shift in power and, and somebody like Marlene wouldn't give it up. So she's been keeping an eye on Peyton and happens to come across the information that Peyton was Dr. Mott's wife. And so she goes to confront Claire and Peyton with this information and Peyton kind of lures her out to the green sh uh, greenhouse. And it, like, it's kind of like being killed off screen but yeah. they're not because of the dramatics <laughs> of the glass. But you don't see anything until much later on when it has much more of an impact on Claire because Peyton has sabotaged all of her asthma pumps because Claire's asthmatic and has left it so that as soon as Claire comes back home, you know, to see what's going on, she finds Marlene's body. She's immediately in shock. She goes to get her asthma pumps to help her breathe. She's unable to, and she almost dies right down the house, uh, house yeah. porch. Yeah, like first time watching the film, you might be led to believe that she died. Like the way the camera lingers in, you see her yeah. breathing slow down to a stop um, before we see the sirens and the yeah. ambulances and the police going past as Peyton's just uh, strolling the baby. Oh, the walk. look on her face. She's like, she's still alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, and once Claire gets to the hospital, you know, Michael's there to help support her. But we also started to notice that Solomon is on watch. He, he said he wouldn't let this family be her and he's going to do his thing. And once Claire comes out of hospital, you know, she, she's, she started to feel now that Peyton is doing stuff to her family. And so she uncovers the information that Marlene had about uh, Peyton and Dr. Mott. And this final confrontation, you know, she cracks Peyton right in the face. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, you've been waiting for like an hour and 20 minutes or so for this moment. Yeah. Straight to the nose, over the table she goes. It's like, that's brilliant. And, and it, it plays out like Rebecca de Mornay is just going to leave, but they keep stopping her. Like, she's like, oh, I'll just go get my baby, uh, my stuff. And they're like, no, you're going to leave now. Okay, we need our keys. Okay. And I'm I'm thinking, I, I couldn't really remember from the first time watching it how she came back. I knew that she was going to come back, but the way she kind of comes back in and turns on the music towards the end. Yeah, yeah, well, the alarm goes off downstairs in the other bedroom. And it was, I mean, the, straight away... Uh... Michael calls the police and the police are like, you did what? She's where? So it's not an emergency. All right, we may send the car around later. Yeah. It's just like, okay, yeah, so the family's on their own here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little do they realize they got a shovel-wielding maniac in the basement who yes. takes dad out straight away with a shovel to the back of the head. I mean, uh, we, you see, you know, it's a horrible landing and he breaks his leg. So he's going to spend the rest of the film down there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Michael's <laughs> out of it. Uh, but now it's, you know, it's time for the, the grand finale. You know, mother versus mother yeah. um, for, for custody of the family, essentially. And 
Uh, and, you know, they have a scuffle around. I mean, we've seen Solomon as well, who's now making his way to the house to try and help out. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, uh, she she attacks Peyton. She gets, the upper, she gets the advantage, but then she gets taken out. And then she starts to have an asthma attack. And yeah. Claire is struggling. Um, and, uh, but it's a trick. Because, you know, we, we, we've, we've watched her have these asthma attacks throughout the entire film. But she also knows that Peyton has seen her have these yes. asthma attacks. And that, that made her drop her guard down just enough for her to throw her clean out the window. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the little girl at this point as well. Because when she's been trusting Peyton all the way through. And now she sees her attacking her mum and dad. And so she now loves her mum and dad. She goes to protect her brother as well. And there's the whole trick with the walkie-talkie. Yeah. But, you know, when, when, when Solomon there as well, and he's taking wax from the fire poker to protect the baby, I'm like, this whole family's coming together, kill this bitch. And then when you see her impaled on that fence, I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. Okay, I suppose. And now, to be fair, like, the film doesn't do the, the old horror trope of double-dabbing. Yeah. Because she dead. She dead. I mean, there's no sequels, is there? No, I don't come Back again. So, no, no, <laughs> and and well, that's the thing as well. They kind of they have this final like last moment where you know Claire now trusts Solomon more than anybody else. Probably you know not as much as her husband, but she's got to go help her husband, and he needs to kind of watch after the baby, and she knows he is going to take care of it. And that's literally where the film ends. They they just kind of walk out of the attic and credits. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> wow, that was. That was a rush. Yeah. I'm just glad that, you know, all of everything just kind of paid off at the end. It's a very satisfying ending. And I think it's because, like, our hearts are also with Solomon so much. Yes. Uh, yeah. that, that, that just seeing him being uh, taken back into the family is just like, it's it's a really nice way to end it. Yeah, Despite man. all of the horrible, you know, <laughs> yeah. brainwashing, manipulative evil that we've endured throughout the film uh, to end it on quite a nice note. It's It's very satisfying. William, what were your favourite scenes from the film? Um, I have only a few. I mean, I do really love the whole movie, but like a lot of my sequences, I think, do involve just Ernie Hudson. I like These films came out a lot. You know, you had Sleeping With The Enemy. You, ha you had um, a single white female, and like I said, Fatal Attraction. So you knew that the family weren't going to defeat the enemy there, the nanny. But to have Solomon in this movie, Ernie Hudson just... Just kind of eating up every sequence just of how funny he was. And there was the Martin sequence. You know, they put up this birdhouse and they're like, oh, we're waiting for the Martins to come back. And he's like, who are the Martins? And they start talking about how they're birds. And you think, oh, he thought they were people. I the the bathroom stall incident, you know, after de destroying Michael's proposal. So now yeah. she ruptures the connection between Claire and Michael. And then she just unloads in that room. I was just like, yes, Rebecca DeMornay, this is just... Oh, pure emotional acting. The confrontation with Solomon after he catches her breastfeeding the baby and she just steps up to him. She's smaller than him and he's yeah. kind of up. But she, you know, she's like just staring at him in the eyes and she's like, don't fuck with me. And she slaps his face. And then you see the tears. You know, you won't hurt this family. I'm like, I know Solomon, I know. And then like when they give him the bike. Yeah. You oh. know, oh, love it. Love it. So sweet. 
Uh, yeah, uh, my favourite scene straight off Solomon's jump scare at the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's just a man in the window at, the, at this family's uh, estate, and that's why I want fences put up. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody can sneak up and hang out my window. Uh, it was a great little moment. Um, I, I, again, another Solomon moment where they just ask him like, "What does he want?" And he's like, "I want a bike with a basket." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also love the uh, uh, the fact that he starts counting with his feet, <laughs> yeah. and then he, he turns to the family and he's like, "No, I've got to take measure." Actually, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a scene where uh, where Peyton comes into the room with the baby, yeah, and baby's crying, and she's got the pillow oh. you're like oh shit she's gonna smother the baby but no she smothers the uh, the walkie talkie the radio yeah it's like oh. sneaky very good very good movie uh, again Peyton's evil look to Solomon that that first glimpse at the evil that's lurking underneath Mary Poppins here yeah great little moment uh, the bathroom breakdown uh, the surprise birthday party you know falling apart and of course that punch to the face <laughs> yeah. was so sweet so sweet I've got to say, you know, uh, Ernie Hudson was was really great in this, and so was Julianne Moore. So I think it was one of her earliest film appearances yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as side characters, those two were really, really strong parts of the film. And uh, you, de- even though they're not in a lot of the film, you, you feel their presence still. Uh, but I also want to say... Um, uh, Rebecca De Mornay, uh, she was a really good villain. Like, I don't know whether it was in her eyes. Yeah. You know, she's kind of got those evil Lynn eyes. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, but the way that she flip-flopped between Mary Poppins and uh, and and an evil, you know, maniacal maniac yeah. uh, w- was great. And uh, I didn't, you know, I remember this film, but I forgot how good her performance was uh, as, as a villain. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy what you said about Julianne Moore. The moment where Marlene started to investigate uh, Dr. Martin his wife I really wanted to watch Hannibal nice. you know where she starts to investigate and starts to look for him I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know it was kind of slate at the time but Julianne Moore for me is just really good and you know seeing her in this and then seeing her die like it's taken out really quickly but when you see Peyton die Rebecca De Mornay, you're like oh but you know Ernie <laughs> Hudson saves the day hell yeah well Ian do you recommend The Hand of Rocks I definitely do. I've loved this movie from the first time I saw it. And like I said, this is like a like a kind of a box set of these movies of this person coming into your home, being evil, wanting to get revenge on you, kind of, you know, you're the audience member watching them manipulate everything from you know behind the scenes and you're wanting to tell everybody the truth but nobody's believing you until you get to the end. And it does have a really good ending for me because it's only Hudson's movie too. You know, this guy could literally just hold a screen of making jokes and making even when like you get the uncomfortable sequences, like when he gets led away, you know, from the family, you're like, no, I need him back. And then he comes back and he saves the day. And yeah, Ernie Hudson, baby. (laughs) This is a really well made thriller. Uh, with some great direction, a really good screenplay, and memorable performances from the whole cast. It's a solid film that's holding up really well. I do recommend you check out The Hand That Rocks the Cradle if you enjoy the slow burn drama, the relentless psychological warfare being inflicted on a family with uh, evil vengeance and expert manipulation to frightening effect. Rebecca De Mornay was brilliant in the role. Uh, with her icy cold centre revealing itself under the masquerade of a family nanny. She captured the evil within perfectly and elevated the tension really well with violent bursts of anger. 
The story is, yeah, maybe predictable, a little cliched perhaps, and, you know, the premise or setup may feel a little bit rushed, but it's enough to get you invested in the characters uh, to care for the family before everything starts to go wrong. <laughs> you know, near two hours long, it has a great pace, lots of horrible situations, but uh, wonderful supporting cast and a cinematic villain that deserves to be seen. I don't think this is a classic, but it's well remembered and well worth a watch. And remember, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Thanks for watching Off the Shelf Reviews.